You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, saving 50% of your income on $60,000 while navigating a health condition with zero. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm really excited, as I always am, to bring you valuable content that's going to not only inspire you, like, let's get it real. I want you to be inspired, but I also want you to take action, take action, take the inspiration, ride that wave and take action. So before we get into this amazing episode with Zero, I'm going to call her Zero. Um, Zero is anonymous. So we're going to keep most of the details, like details where you can like figure out who she is under wraps, but you'll still get tons of information and I want to share like why I was so excited to talk to Zero because Zero has a very interesting story. So I first found out about Zero on, I think it was Twitter is where I first saw her and her profile picture. And she she talks about it a little bit is that it's one, it's like a sketch of someone in a wheelchair of a woman in a wheelchair. So Zero has some, some health issues or some health conditions that have really impacted her journey to financial freedom and independence. And you'll hear it. And she has ongoing conditions that she'll talk about and how she manages that. And while managing that, how she was able to move to New York City with her medical conditions and still be able to land a job, increase her income, and save $100,000 by 30 years old. And she's going to talk through like the mindset shift that took, how she had to be brave in that instant, like right through the journey and what she's doing now. So she went from a full-time employee to a full-time entrepreneur. And she's going to talk about what that looks like for her and all the things. Before we get into this episode, if you want the episode show notes, so that's where I highlight and put links to things that Hero mentions or we mentioned in the episode, you want to go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 127. Yes, this is episode 127. So just go to journeytolaunch dot com slash episode 127. If you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts or any podcast player, you should be able to see a description and like click more and the link should be there. But as always, I'm happy that you're listening. So please continue to share this with your family and friends. That's how we get the podcast more out there. I love seeing your feedback on social media, like what stood out the most for you in the episode, what really struck a chord with you and like, how are you going to now take this information and do something and apply it to your life. So share with me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. That's where I hang out socially at journey to launch. So tag me so I can see that you're listening. I love to repost it and kind of respond and say, thank you. And then as always, if you're listening to this in Apple podcast, so if you have an iPhone, that's the purple app on your phone. I have to say that I always have to say this now because you'd be surprised how many people don't even know like what the purple app on their phone does if they have an iPhone. That's your Apple podcast app. So that's where you can literally like search journey to launch and subscribe. So wherever you listen to this, whether I have people who listen to this on YouTube, I do have a YouTube channel, guys. (laughs) Only podcast episodes get posted there, but you can listen there if you want. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Android phone. So any Android podcast player, you can find the journey to launch podcast there also. But search Journey to Launch and make sure that you're subscribed because when you're subscribed, number one, it's free to do that. This information is totally free for you. But when you subscribe, you don't miss an episode. And so that's really important. So you get to basically get the episode downloaded to your phone. As always, continue to share with your family and friends. Okay, so let's get into this amazing conversation with Zero. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, journeyers, you know, I'm always on the hunt for interesting stories and different perspectives on this journey to financial freedom and independence. And I remember first coming across 
Zero's Twitter account, and I was intrigued because the image is Zero. It's a view. It's not. It's not a real image of you. It's it's a cartoon kind of drawing, and it's a view in a wheelchair, and it talked about. And I think your your bio handle said something about like you saved half of your money in New York City, <laughs> like making less than what is it sixty thousand dollars? At that point, I think it was sixty k. Yeah, right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like who is this woman? And I need to speak to her. So hence, I finally tracked you down, and we're having a conversation because I think other journeyers need to hear what you were able to do. So welcome to the podcast, Zero. Thank you. Yeah, um, that image, actually, I should probably change it at some point. But I just found it when I first made the Twitter account, not really thinking much of it. And it was from, I think, a New York Times article. So I should probably just get I was like, oh, it looks kind of like me. Um, So I should probably change it at some point. But it kind of gets the point across because I was like, okay, I have this unique intersection of disability, not very high income in New York City and um, kind of trying to figure out my career or my life. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll just use this one. Yeah, I'm really excited to come on. Yeah. And well, it worked. The image worked because I, I said to myself, like, wow, this is a story I know that needs to be heard by more people. And one of the things that I'd love for you, we're going to get into your background and exactly about your your disabilities and things that you're actually working through with health, because I feel like so many people either are going through that or have people they know going through it. And so I want to show a story of someone who, how you're living with it, how you're living with all the things that you're going through, and then also reaching your financial freedom dreams. So first we have to talk about you making about $60,000, but saving 50% of it in New York City. How? (laughs) Because I live in New York, but I, you know, I have a kid or kids with an S and a lot more things happening, but I'd love to hear and you to break down the numbers because I know you're open with your numbers too. So that's awesome. I recently quit my job, but before I did, for about half a year, I was about at 75000 And for about two years before that, I was around 60000 And for a year before that, I was at fifty, And then before that, it was um, thirty-seven k. And for the first three months of that thirty-seven k, I was at 14 an hour, working seven hours a day. So that was all in New York City. And... Um, because my income started out so little, I kind of had to, you know, make drastic life adjustments. And it was my first kind of like job out of college, getting out. And so being younger, I think, and kind of not knowing any better about what you can have if you had money, um, I was kind of able to pare down my life pretty substantially. So living in New York City, I never paid more than I think like eight twenty a month in rent. I didn't really do much other than eat. So eating is like a couple hundred dollars a month, right? So even when my take home is twelve hundred, thirteen hundred, fifteen hundred um per paycheck and I have double that, I can just live on that twelve to fifteen hundred a month and then save the rest. So when I was at 60K, I got to the point where I can save my half of my take-home income, but my 401k wasn't maxed out. And when I got to 75K, I was able to max out my 401k, HSA, Roth IRA, and save a paycheck a month because, you know, my lifestyle didn't change. And um, when you max out your 401k, I was using it, doing it post-tax for a while, and then I realized I can save a lot more if I did it pre-tax and that kind of just changed my life, this realization that, Hey, I can do it pre-tax. My paycheck doesn't get as much of a hit and I can max it out. So when I did that, I think my take home was around 1500 per paycheck. It might've been a little less because I was maxing everything out. But since I had always kind of lived between 1200 to 1500 a month, I could live off it still. And since I was maxing out my HSA, all my medical expenses went through that. So I didn't have to pay, quote unquote, out of my actual personal bank account to pay for my medical expenses, which are pretty high. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. Now, do you want to step back a little bit? Because you can, do you, can you give us your roundabout age? You're in your 20s, right? 
Uh, no, I just turned 30. You just turned 30. Amazing. Happy 30. Welcome to the world of the 30s. Thank you. <laughs> now the real, your real life can begin, but no, just seriously, um, <laughs> going back just a little bit. So what did you go to school for, right? Because I love taking people tr- through this transition of someone like graduating and what they were in school for and then what they graduated thinking they were going to do and what they ended up doing. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I have a bachelor and master's degree in special education. And I graduated, uh, I think, right before I turned 25. So I kind of just started this like working life a little later than other people did. And it also the fact that I had um, brain surgery when I was 22, that kind of contributed to my life starting a little later. It was a five year master's degree that turned into six years because I had to like relearn how to use a spoon, walk, sit, all that fun stuff. So um, I started off my working life at 25. And it took me a while to find a job once I moved to New York, because I wasn't really comfortable with um, teaching because teaching is very physically and emotionally and like just really strenuous work. So I was like, you know what, Um, I want to do something disability advocacy related because it was something very close to me. So I moved to New York because that's where you um, find these nonprofits to work for. And turns out no one's hiring. And if they were, they want to pay you, you know, 25K a year. So that was a shock. It turns out about half a year after I started looking for jobs, I finally got hired by a um, IT consulting company to work in IT. And they're like, hey, we need a help desk person who's bilingual. And we understand you have no technical background. Like I didn't even know what Outlook was. I'd never opened one before. And they're like, you need to fix it. But we, we need a bilingual person and we can teach technical skills, but we can't teach language skills. So um, I was like, you know what? I have absolutely no idea what I'm getting myself into, but I need a job. They need me. And I need a, this full-time job things and I'll give it a try. And if I don't like it or if, it, if I can't do it, I'll just quit and try something else, you know? So that's kind of how I crashed into tech. And that's where I've been for the past five and a half years. Okay, so how did you find that job, right? Like, did you go searching? Were you looking on LinkedIn? How did that opportunity kind of land in your lap? And what language? What's your second language or first language? My first language is Japanese, but um, I wasn't looking for that job. So I found out half a year after spending countless weeks and hours in my life putting out like 600 applications that there's this magical thing called recruitment agencies that do that work for you, which was a shock for free, which was very shocking. So I had applied to a few recruiting agencies and one of the postings that they had was um, as a recruiter. And I was like, oh, I can do this, I think. So I just applied and they had hired someone already for that job but they wanted to do an interview with me anyways. And uh, when they did an interview with me, they chose someone else. But then they're like, you know, um, would you be interested in doing this help desk job? We don't have what you wanted, but you want to try it? And I was like, "Um, I don't have a job. So yes, I will try it. And that's like, that's, yeah, that's how I got the job. I was, I had no intention of ever working in tech because it's just, a scary thing for someone with no technical backgrounds to think about. Right. So what, how much did you start making when you started working in the tech job? Uh, 14 an hour. So you started right 14 hour. Now, just from your story alone, we're going to get into the brain surgery and that part of your life. Cause it's so, I mean, we just have, we're going to definitely go there, but what I'm pulling out from your story, which I love is that one, you, even though it scares you, you decided, all right, I might as well try it. Like, what can I lose at this point? It seems like you were really just looking for a way. And what I even love more is this idea that you apply for these jobs, like at the, well, the recruitment, recruitment job, and they hired someone else and then they interviewed and you and that wasn't possible, but it still led you to open this door or this door open for you that you decided and chose to walk through that has allowed you to do all this amazing stuff now. So it just shows you how things might be a no and be confusing and scary, but moving to it, right, where it makes sense for you and being brave like that, what that can do for someone's life, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things, even before that, 
was that, I mean, brain surgery and like, oh, you might die is pretty big. But I think that kind of became an impetus to me being able to say, okay, I got this master's degree. This is the job that I was thought I was going to get and do for 10, 15 years of my life. I always wanted to be a teacher. Throughout college, I was like, I'm going to be a special ed teacher. And then when I had the serious talk with myself and was like, can I do this physically? And I was like, you know what, maybe not. Then at that point, I was able to kind of pivot and be like, okay, then what else can I do? And I think the the fact that I was able to do that, I think that kind of triggered all the successive going like going for it because I was like, if I could do that, like this little change is not as bad as I think it is. And I kind of, you know, accumulated all these stories inside myself of like, well, this seemed really bad at that time. But six months later, it's like a joke. This seemed really, really bad at the time. But, you know, nine months later, I don't even know why I was upset. You know, this was a non-brainer. Like, it was a great choice to make. But at that time, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't I can't do that. You know, so it's kind of I think every decision I made that wasn't what, quote unquote, I was supposed to do kind of solidified my confidence that, you know, it doesn't really matter what decision I make in the end. It's what I make of it. And that's really, I think, helped me in the past decade to kind of get where I am today. Right. I love that perspective. I love it. So just. Now you started making fourteen dollars an hour. You said at this, yeah, like kind of service job. How did you then transition to now earning more and rising up the ranks? So that was like um, a junior help desk job, so doing IT support, and that was like the the fourteen an hour was the um, three month trial period thing. And if I didn't get fired in the three months, then they're like, oh, we'll get you up to thirty seven k and Going from $0 income, 37 k seemed like a lot of money. And I was like, sign me up. That's called an income. And then these things called taxes happen. And you look at the pay stub and you're like, oh, my God. Like, how am I supposed to live on this? And um, so for the first three years that I was working, I was also kind of doing side hustles. Because I just could not afford to be alive, basically. Um, my take-home would go directly to uh, my rent and my um, other expenses. So if I wanted to save anything or if I wanted to kind of feel a little more secure, I had to continue making more money on the side. So for about two or three years, I was working um, three nights a week as a tutor um, so that I have like the ability to buy groceries and live. Um, or if I needed to take a trip down to my parents or something, you know, I can buy the bus tickets. So um, that kind of helped me start this whole hustling and having all these different ideas for doing side hustles all the time. And it's kind of got me, I guess, into addiction of finding something I can do to make money all the time. Yeah, so that and then I stayed at that job for 10 months and I was kind of expecting a, um, a talk, right? Like, oh, what's your salary increase going to be? Are we going to, you know, up your benefits, whatever, anything, you know, any talk. But there was like absolutely no talk and there was no inkling of any talk. And I was like, OK, I don't know anything about working because this is my first job. But this seems kind of weird. And I had made it very obvious and clear that. There is no way I can live on 37K a year in New York City paying like the maximum taxes and everything that comes with it because I wasn't even eligible for like retirements and stuff for I think two years or something like that. So it's not like I had any way of like mitigating the taxes and um, rent's not going to get any lower than like 750 or 800 that I had already. Right. And that was, that was like, that's really good for New York City. Yeah, yeah. I lived in pretty questionable situations, but it was also that if you have such low income, you can't get an apartment because you need like 60 times rent or 40 times rent or whatever they need. And I just did not have income like that. And I also didn't want to live in a situation where my rent takes up such a huge chunk of my 
paycheck because it's just such a scary place to be. Um, so after 10 year, months of no inkling of, hey, you know, let's talk about your salary because clearly you can do this job and you can do it well, I got headhunted to um, work in another consulting company, but this time like as part of the employee, I was consulted out with the previous company. And so I was still working with clients, but my salary went up to 50K. That was like a 13K increase, which I was like, wow, I am made. Look at all this moolah. And then taxes hit and you get to look at your paycheck and you're like, oh my gosh. Um, so you thought you weren't going to make a lot more money because 13K seems like a lot of money. But when you see it after taxes, it's not that much. So how did you start to, you know, write at some moment, you started to max everything out, really intentional. I mean, you saved $100,000 by 30 years old. So we're going to talk about that too. But how did you make that switch to now, okay, I'm making a little bit more, I'm doing a little bit better. How did you come across like all these ideas to max out your 401k and all these things? Yeah, so that was like a dream upon a dream, right? Like no one can do that with such low income and godforsaken New York City. So that kind of idea didn't even come to me until two years ago, I think, like in 2017, uh, when I started the Twitter account, maybe 2018, I think, yeah, I think I started my account, Twitter account for personal finance in January of 2018 or something like that. So it was like a year and a half ago, um, because the previous year, so I had switched jobs again and was making 60K, but um, after about a half a year of working at this new job, um, I, I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and the disability rate, permanent disability rate, which means like you can't work anymore is um, pretty high from what I was researching. And that kind of shook me back to when I had brain surgery and when everyone was telling me I can't work, like I'll never be able to work full time. I'll never be able to support myself. And that kind of brought me back to like a couple years ago. And I'm like, well, I got kind of complacent and comfortable with this concept of, you know, oh, I'm just going to work for the rest of my life if I have to. And not really taking into account that I have a very bad track record with my body that that's not a possibility. Like I could be out of a job in a year because I physically cannot do it anymore. And I hadn't thought about that um, in the past couple of years. So that kind of really shook me. And I was like, okay, so if I couldn't work, not that I don't want to work, if I couldn't work, what am I going to do? And I was like, wow, I'm screwed. <laughs> I am completely screwed if I can't work anymore. Um, so that was kind of when I started trying to figure out how I'm supposed to mitigate it as much as possible. And looking into like retirement and um, saving more and figuring out what kind of things I can do and how much do you even need to not have to work? And those kinds of things, it's like when it's the basis and you're living in that high life of New York City where everyone's like, spend as much as you make, you know, and go for it. Like you only live once. You're only in your 20s now. YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> YOLO. And, you know, get that delicious cappuccino. I have nothing against lattes. I think everyone should get a latte. But at that point, it's like, that's not that's not a discussion anyone has. So I was like, oh, my gosh, where do I even look? You know, and obviously the Internet. So I found the community and I was like, wow, there are people talking about money like on the Internet. How did I not know this before? Like, I've always kind of wanted to talk to people about it, but I was never able to find people to talk about it because no one wants to talk about money. And I was like, oh, wow. So if you're like an anonymous account, you can talk about a lot of things that you can't talk about in person. So I think in winter of 2018, I made a Twitter account. And that's when I started finding out that, hey, you can do this thing called like maxing out your retirement. I think that's when I opened a Roth IRA account. I didn't even know about it until then. And I was like, wait, dump money in whenever you want, like a savings account, you know, as long as it's under a certain amount. I'm like, oh, yeah, sign me up. And everyone's like, oh, maxing out 401k. I'm like, haha, that's for rich people. You know, I could never do that. 
And then as I'm with my um, community of friends and we're talking about it and um, really starting to understand the difference between traditional and Roth and like how people are managing to do these things, I'm like, wait a second, like maybe I can too. And my company had this policy where some companies, like you can only change it once a year or you have to go through HR, you have to do a lot of paperwork, stuff like that. Mine was an online portal and I can change it every day if I wanted to, if I wanted to be that obnoxious. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this for a couple of paychecks. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't, but at least I tried it. And then, so I switched it out to max out my 401k and it was not as painful as I thought it would be. And I was like, wow, like this is a thing. And now I can like say I max out my 401k that like no one thinks is even possible. And once you get that and go, oh, wait, I can still live on this. Then you're like, what else can I live with? And I'm like, if I save like another couple hundred dollars a month more, you know, like or another $50 here, $50 here. And then by the time I realized I was saving a whole paycheck and maxing out all the accounts that I can max out at the moment. And my quality of life really didn't change that much. And it helps that I'm a single person, like I'm myself. And also I'm like always sick. So it's not like I have that much energy to do much of anything. Um, So being sick is financially devastating. But at the same time, you don't have any energy or inclination to go out and do much stuff. So I think that really helped me um, get to that ability to save a lot and not feel too constrained by it. And I think half a year after I started my Twitter account, I hit my um, 100K, which I was really surprised about because my goal was to hit $100,000 net worth at 30. I figured that was like long enough away. I was, I think, 28. I was like, that's long enough away, maybe. Because I was, I think I had $60,000 net worth when I first started in beginning of 2000. 18. I'm sorry, I just want to jump in. And that was from like your investment account. So you were mostly, were, what was that 60,000 mostly up? Because you didn't have debt, right? Like, so you didn't graduate no, with student loan debt. debt. Right. I didn't have mm-hmm. debt. Um, but it was mostly just me saving it in cash until a little before that, because I was really deathly afraid of like investing. I was like, I have, I don't know anything about this. I can't, I don't want to put money in somewhere I don't understand. So I was, I think I had about 40, 50K in cash by that point in the savings account. And my friends are like, no, you can't do that. Like you need to be invested. And I was like, I can't invest. So I had, I think I put my money after a while, I kind of sucked it up and put my money into a rover advisor, which I won't say I endorse, but it's a good, like, if you're scared about it, it's a good way to get started. Just when you kind of figure it out, you should probably not do it anymore because the expense ratios and stuff were ridiculous. But at least they put my money in the market, which I was too scared to do before. And I think I had a little bit in 401k, but it was mostly just cash savings and stuff like that. And I think that was like a bull year or something. Like everything was going up and up and up. So that kind of made me feel a little better about doing it. And then of course the next year it like crashed, but (laughs) so in the beginning of the year I had 60 K and because I found the personal finance community and I was starting to like look deeper into like um, retirement and stuff like that, I had hit 100 K in August. And I was like, Whoa, I have no idea what just happened, but this is kind of intense. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I just turned 29 and I hit 100K and I just started working like three years ago with pretty mediocre wages in New York City and I was able to hit this. And obviously like not having debt is a really huge part of it, but it was also like being in a position where I was told that I will never work and have an income of my own because of my disabilities. I was like, wow, you know, I'm not doing too bad. Yeah. Yeah everyone's journey and circumstances are going to be different. I think once you get past the debt, so anyone who's listening who's like, oh man, I have all this debt. But if you're like, look at what you've been able to do over just two and three years, right? So even after you get past your bet, your debt payoff, so maybe you're just, you know, slightly investing and in saving right now, focusing on debt. 
But then once you get out of that debt, like you can really make some strides um, towards saving and investing and reaching your goals. One of the things that you're saying, like just throughout this like whole story, and I don't know, I know you know Tanya Hester from Our Next Life, right? And so she has a disability too, where it's a genetic disability that in time, you know, if she, if it comes to fruition, she's gonna, she might also have limited mobility and issues. And so when we, when she was on the podcast, she talked about that also being her driving like factor. And it, it sounds like that for you is important. And so many of us don't maybe have that, right? That we know of that's going to happen to us. But it's almost like we don't need to necessarily have that to make these changes because we should act as if we just want more options because we, we do want more options because you just never know what's going to happen and you want to be prepared for that. So I just think it's amazing, especially with your health. So let's just go back to the brain surgery, like starting back with the and the AVM. So you can explain what that is and what happened and your journey back to health, even though I know you're still going through some health issues. Yeah. So when um, when I was in college, I was a junior in college, I had my first grandma seizure. And that's what that's like the stereotypical seizure of like someone loses consciousness, falls over and their whole entire body starts having a seizure. And until then, we didn't know that there was anything wrong with my body. So throughout the next couple of months, they tried really hard to find what it was that was causing it. And turns out I had this um, vascular malformation, so blood vessel disorder in my brain called um, arteriovenous malformation, which people call ABM because it's just way too long. But uh, it's basically like overgrown blood vessels in your brain, or it could be any part of your body, but in my case, it was in my brain. And you can imagine what overgrown blood vessels can do to space that's broken up, right? You can't, you can't put more stuff in there that shouldn't be there. So it was pressing on my brain and um, they think that was causing the seizures. And it was also um, because there's so the blood vessel is not supposed to be that big. The walls of the blood vessels are a lot thinner than they should be. So I was at a very heightened risk for stroke. Yeah, like basically just dying from stroke whenever when I hit my head or had a seizure or just anything that could cause it. And as a 22 year old, I was diagnosed when I turned 22. I was like, well, that's a kind of grim life prognosis. I haven't even graduated college yet. So one of the treatment methods was just wait and see what happens. But I was like, I'm 22. Like, I don't want this over my head, literally in my head for the rest of my life, you know, and every because I'm younger, the chance of me having a stroke is that much higher because I have so many years left to quote unquote live. So I had brain surgery half a year later to remove them. And what the doctors didn't tell me or my family is that once they remove it, yeah, sure, the ABM is gone. But then you're left with brain injury where they kind of poked and prodded your brain and pushed on it. So and the brain doesn't regenerate. Whatever's gone is gone. But they had not really prepped us on that. So it was kind of like a journey of rediscovering all these deficits that I suddenly had um, over the next year or so. And every step was kind of like, what? You know, you, you couldn't have told me this might happen. And it was just kind of devastating going from someone who didn't have too many issues with um, cognition or m memory or all these other skills to suddenly not being able to even watch a two minute YouTube video because of concentration or read a article. Like I couldn't do anything because of my executive functioning issues. So it's got, it, it went to the point where the consensus was that I'm probably never going to be able to live independently or work. It got to the point where I finally graduated college, but the, everyone was telling me I will never move out of my parents' house and be able to work and support myself. And I get angry after a while. <laughs> So after a while being upset and sad and depressed and going through the, oh no, what is my life? I'm 23, I'm 24, and my life is supposed to be starting, but this, like, what people are telling me is my life is over. And I was like, you know what? No, like, I'm, I'm going to just kind of run away for a while and see what happens. So I kind of actually ran away to New York without much planning. I did get myself an apartment and I did get myself 
like a babysitting job uh, before I did that. But I like made the decision and I like just left after I only told my mom, like, I think like a month in advance or something. I was like, I'm leaving. Like, and my, my thing was like, I'm at this privileged place where if I wanted to live at home for the rest of my life, my parents will support me. But then I will never know if I could or couldn't, I would have just done it, you know, and if I tried it and couldn't, it didn't work out, then I can come home. You know, I have a place to come back if I fail. So it was kind of like, there wasn't too much risk in me doing it other than maybe like some weird freak accident. That's how I kind of got out of the house and decided to try it out. And where were you moving from? Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of DC. Okay. And so I moved to New York City with an apartment I found online, obviously. Uh Like Craigslist or something? Yeah, something like that. Like one of those apartment share websites where they don't care that you don't make any money. They don't care. They don't know who the heck you are that you've never met in your life, you know, but they'll be willing to share your apart their apartment with you. It's like, okay, sure. Um, so that was kind of like not very logical on my part. But, you know, uh, in my defense, I had brain surgery like a year and a half earlier. So I was not the most logical person. Um, but I had hedged as much, you know, risks as possible by kind of like, I have a backup plan, I have a place to live, I have some sort of income, even if it's like 300 a week or something, you know, so I'll try this out for like half a year, the the apartment was for like half a year. So I was like, I given myself half a year. And if it if I can't find a quote unquote, real job by then, then I'll just move back home. It was just not meant to be. But at least, you know, when I'm 40, I won't be like, oh, what if I had just tried? Right. So that was kind of how I moved up to New York. Because I was having so much, I guess, success at living independently, I had kind of forgotten how it felt to be restrained by your own body. So when I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis after really, really bad chronic pain and my joints kind of like locking up on itself, I was like, oh my gosh, like it's happened again. And this time my parents are not the ones paying for me. You know, like I live in New York City by myself. I have to do everything myself, you know, doctors, finding doctors, going to doctors, you know, appointments, paying my bills, you know, like all these things, like pay my medical bills on time. And stuff like that to like figure it out all by myself. And it's only because I was working at a tech startup that had unlimited sick days that I was even able to go to the doctors like multiple times a month. And I was like, this could all just be taken away, including the health insurance, if I can't work. And if I don't have health insurance, I can't function. And that kind of got me really scared. And that started me on my trying to figure out, is there an alternative way to live? Because this is not going to work. This is not the way that the status quo is just not going to work. Right. So, all right, going back, just because I just love digging a little deeper in your story. So luckily you were on your parents' insurance throughout college, which allowed you when you had all those, um, the brain surgery and recovery, you were under their insurance. So presumably they had good insurance to help cover that. Did you put yourself through college or do you get help with that or how? I love that you didn't graduate with student loans. Like I feel like everyone should be so just blessed to be able to have that happen. But was it mostly through you paying for it, your parents paying for it or scholarships or a combination? Yeah. So my parents pay for my college. So I'm a first generation immigrant. And so in Japan, if your parents can't pay for college, you just don't go to college. So it seems like it's changing now in the past 10, 15 years or so. But it was basically like, it's a given that your parents will pay for your college if you're going to go. If they can't, you don't go to college. So in my parents' mind, I mean, the amount of money it costs to go to college is just astronomical here. But in their head, it was like, okay, we're going to afford this. By any means. Yeah. By any means. I mean, they're not going to take loans out themselves, but the trend would have been they would be the ones taking out the loans, not us. Which like, if I said that to my friends, they'll be like, what are you talking about? But like my parents, when they were looking at private schools and going, oh, my God, and they have two kids. So they're like, oh, my God. You know, and then we would have uh, doubled up in college for multiple years. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we need to like take out a loan. You know, and I'm like, wait, wait, why are you taking out a loan? Right. 
but they're like, well, we wouldn't want you to take out a loan. Like you're not the one with income. Like we're the, we're your parents and we're the only ones with income. So of course we would take out a loan. And it was just kind of like a huge culture shock to them and to me that like there's such a difference. And it obviously worked in my favor this time around, but they were also kind of shocked when they found out like my friends worked in high school so they can buy a car so that they can drive places. And they're like, what? And so it was just kind of like a cultural difference that allowed me to go to college. And the health insurance thing, my freshman year of college, Obama was elected and he got the ACA through. So if that hadn't gone through, if I were a couple years older, I wouldn't have had insurance when I had my brain surgery. So that would have just completely changed my life because just the surgery and they only let me stay in the hospital maybe three days. That was $750,000. Wow. And that was all covered with the insurance. Yeah. I don't know how much of it was covered because my parents never told me, but most of it was covered. And if I weren't covered, like that's just the surgery, right? Before the surgery, after the surgery, it's just ridiculous amounts of monies which I found out and before like for the half year they had to go to specialists get scans 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 every scan is like 800 bucks and I only really figured out how insane the medical system and the billing is when I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and this time I'm paying for myself and I have to go through the paperwork myself and figure out how to pay bills and where does the money coming from and it was kind of just shocking because um, the stuff about joints and the rest of your body is definitely expensive. But when it comes to the brain, it's like even more expensive. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I've had friends who were just a few years too old to be eligible for um, that. You're on, you can be under your parents insurance until 26 clause. And they still have like crippling medical debt from when they were like 23. And they're like in their mid 30s now. And yeah, it's just, it's just really scary how much your life could just be derailed by whether or not you have health insurance at the right time. Right. And employment is a big thing. I do want to just like make note of the education part and like the cultural differences. I just think it's amazing, one, that your parents were able to do that for you. And I'm pretty sure like they had to work really hard to be able to do that for you. And like they're hard workers. And I always say just because you, know, I'm a daughter of an immigrant. And while I have some privileges based on what my mom was able to do, like she literally started out with nothing and like grinded and worked to even give me some of the things she was able to do for me. And so I always see that even if you're listening and you didn't have that kind of same help and just assistance with your education or life that you now as like the person who's more aware and can do more like for future generations, whether that's your children or family members that you have the position to do like what Zero's parents did or like what my mom did for like your children or even for yourself. Once you know, like kind of now what this life, what world the world is like with financial freedom and independence as an option. Okay. So with your um, arthritis, I know paying for that, you use HSA. So I do want to touch upon that and why it's important and how you do use that to help offset some of the costs. So can you talk about like why that works and how that works? Yeah. So what a lot of the personal finance sphere would actually recommend is that I don't use the HSA and keep it because it's the only not never taxed investment vehicle. Yeah, yeah, it's like the best thing ever. But unfortunately, I am not at a financial or medical position to be able to take advantage of that. Um, so I actively use my HSA. So HSA is not taxed going in, which means that $200 procedure you could pay for with untaxed monies. And um, whereas if you paid it in cash, or you paid it through other means of paying, you're going to you have to use your post-tax money to pay for it. And so um, I think the max, is it like 3250 per person or something a year or something like that? So I just max it out of my paycheck because um, then I don't have to worry about it and the money is always there. And my company has also um, put in more money um, just as like a match kind of thing, like kind of like a four. Okay. So, I mean, it's not much, but it adds up after a while. Yeah. So then I would um, use that to pay for my medical um, treatments because 
my deductible, yearly deductible was $1,500. And then after that's like 20%. So if I maxed out my HSA, I knew that I can pay my every cent of my medical bills through that. I don't have to worry about juggling my savings. I don't have to worry about juggling my um, other accounts and being worried that I can't pay for my medical medical bills. So that kind of took one component of having a chronic illness out of the equation, which is the stress of how am I going to pay for this? And I think that was really important because I already had so much going on that how am I going to pay for this financially was not one of those things I wanted to also be worried about. But you obviously can only have it if you have a high deductible plan, which is why I had $1,500 deductible. But I did do the math and turns out because I use it so heavily and you get this extra money from the company for having a high deductible plan with through the HSA. In my case, it made sense for me to have a high deductible plan because the coverage itself was the same. I could see any doctor I wanted. That's why I kept that one for myself. Right. That's amazing. Going to the mechanics of like you saving investing, because if you were to say, I know part of it is you kept your living expenses really low, right? Because there are some people who have just their, their expenses, right? Like they have a lot of expenses or they feel locked into them. And I love the fact that you said while the disability that you have is a hindrance in many areas, it also helps you save money because of the energy. It's always like, okay, here's the bright side to this, right? Like, fine. This is all perspective, I mean, that's what you got to do. Listen, this is life. This is <laughs> honestly everybody I've ever spoken to that has made like something like amazing happen in their life. It's because of perspective because no one has like the perfect life. So I love that you said that. But what are just some other things people can start looking into? Because maybe they're saying to themselves, well, I can't live off of only $30,000 a year. I have all these other obligations. But what are some things people can say or really start looking at how they spend or how they earn, right? Like what they can start doing to really start hustling their way to their dreams? So one thing that I was always doing is that I was side hustling. I always loved coming up with new ways to make money, even if it's just to walk dogs. And in New York City, I kid you not, I make 25 an hour, 25 per walk, 30 minute walk, right? And feeding the cats the same. I can go and feed a cat for $25. Okay, I have to stop you. So do you just like walk up, knock your neighbor's door and say, hey, I walk dogs? Or do you put like signs up? Like, how do you get those? What are the logistics in getting that? Yeah. So I, I went through Rover.com. I picked them after researching a little bit because they seemed at the time to take the lowest fees. So it was, I think, 20%. Other um, walking apps would take more from you. And it kind of just starts you on a track of having clients. And once they like you, they recommend you to all their other doggy and cat friends. And that just kind of like created a network. And one of the dogs that I walked, his mom became a full-time dog walker after using me as a dog walker. She quit her job and became a dog walker because she hated her job. And so then she had all these clients, right? And if she couldn't do it or she had more clients that were coming to her that she can support, she's like, hey, do you want to do this, you know, these days a week? And I'd be like, sure. And it's kind of like, because it's a neighborhood, New York is neighborhood and um, everyone needs their doggies and cats fed and walked. Like it kind of just expanded from there, but um, I couldn't have a dog myself. So I'm like, uh, yeah, getting paid to walk fluffy things. Yes. But <laughs> um, yeah. Or I was, looking for things that I can do without having to leave my home. So that's how I got a lot into like working on the internet. And so my current job, I quit my full-time job a couple months ago. And now I do full-time technical writing and technical instructor. And those are things I can do without leaving my home. And with my potential physical like disabilities, it's kind of like I needed to find something and get creative and find careers that I can do without having to leave my home if it came to that. And I think having rheumatoid arthritis happen when it happened, when I was still kind of my brain was still malleable enough to be like, what can I do? And living in this technology age where there's just so much you can do on the computer and your phone. It was like the best like mess to kind of 
me taking everything I knew and throwing it out of the window and going like nine to five office job, you know, need to be employed by someone. It's like, um, no, actually, apparently not. And always having some random side hustle um, allowed me to kind of know how to get that up and going. And I had the experience going, hey, well, if I could do 1000 a month from tutoring, I can probably do something similar, but online. It was kind of like getting creative with experiences I already had just because I've spent so much of my time thinking about and doing random stuff. It's kind of like that extra 25 a week doing something. It doesn't seem like much, but when you do it every week for a month, it's $100 and that could pay for like a week of two of your groceries. And that's not anything to sniff at. I think it's any little amount, I think is like cause for celebration. Yeah. And especially those small amounts, quote unquote, also just open you up for bigger opportunities and flex your your side hustle muscle or just your income making ability and muscle because then you're negotiating, you're researching and you get better skill sets by doing this. Okay, so you quit your job though, right? That's a big deal. Yes. <laughs> so congratulations. How is it being now a full-time entrepreneur and how are you managing that and your goals? Because I saw somewhere you wrote that you felt at one time goalless. <laughs> how are you managing still trying to accomplish your financial goals or are you working on building your business and income first before heavily investing and saving again? Quitting your job is like that ultimate goal for a lot of us, right? So I was working towards that. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. But as I told you earlier, like I turned 30 a couple months ago. And when I turned 30, I was randomly thinking like, okay, so 30 is a big number. 40 is my next big number. When I turn 40, am I going to be happy or upset that I spent half a year, a year, a year and a half extra of my 30s? staying at a job that I don't like, that's not bringing me any value or not growing me as a professional, just because I wanted, I think it was 5,000, no, not even 5,000, like a couple hundred dollars more in a 401k match, because it would have vested at the end of the year, my three years would have vested. And I was like, you know what? No, I think I would have been pretty upset about myself if I had wasted that time of my, like, my youth is not coming back. So the time that you can take all these like challenges and do really scary things, like it becomes more and more limited as I think you get more and more responsibilities. So like, no, actually, I should probably do it now. And like two or three days later, I put in my notice. and <laughs> I quit. Um, I was like, happy 30th birthday to myself. But I was very financially prepared for that because I had been actively working towards that. And by that point, like my net worth was around like 140K, which is not like a lot of money. But given how low my cost of living is, that would have sustained me for years. And one thing I had to do, which people laugh and say, like, you stop joking, but I had to get married for insurance. And we were... My husband and I were intending to get married at some point, but, you know, we're both like full-time employee professionals and we lived in different states and there was really like no quote unquote reason to get married. And I think if this didn't happen, we might've just gone through without ever getting married, even if we were together for the rest of our lives, just because we're both like really practical people. And we're like, what are the merits of getting married if we don't have kids? And so it was kind of like we got engaged May. We got married end of June. So most people don't know that we're married. And it was mostly like the practicality of me needing health insurance. Because I, I looked at a lot of different ways that I could potentially get health insurance as a freelancer or working part-time at Starbucks or something like that. And none of them was secure enough for the severity of my medical conditions. So I was like, you know what? Um, I think marriage is the only way to go. And my husband was like, yeah, sure. Because he's been wanting to get married, but we just never found like that correct impetus to say like, make this huge life change. So I don't have to worry about insurance, which 
frees up like over a thousand dollars a month for me because just to have just a premium would have been a thousand dollars a month for me. And I don't make enough to pay something like that. Yeah. So like actively saving and having that stable paycheck and 401k and stuff is on hold for a while until I can get my um, life together and clients lined up and stuff like that. But for reference, very randomly, um, last year around this time, I got my first job writing online and it was $75 an article, which I was like, whoa, getting paid $75 an article. Now I get paid like 400 an article to write. Like it's a year and it's just kind of like knowing what you're worth and having the leverage with your experiences to be like, this is what I get here. Can you do better? You know, like this is what I have done in the past. Here's all these stuff that you like. And it kind of the mentality of um, just a year ago, I was like on the receiving end of everything, right? Like, I am privileged to have you give me money so I can do this. You know, I am one of a million, but you chose me to give me your pittance. Whereas now I'm like, I have these skills. You want them. You want the brand that I have created. You want your blog, say, to have an article with my name and what I do on it, you know, and you want the quality that you have seen in all my other works. So let's negotiate. And it's just like the mentality change is so different. And I'm still kind of baffled because it hasn't been that long a period. You know, it's been less than a year. I was like, wow, this is kind of what you have to do. I'm not that strong of a person, like, go get this and I will fight for it kind of person. So it's kind of really scary for me. And really, because you seem like you all your life. I mean, that's what you've been doing, even though you, you don't think you have, you are a fight for it kind of person. But I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I fight for it if there's no human attached to the other side. <laughs> right. But when there's a human that I have to be negotiating with, I'm like, oh boy, like, oh no, they're going to be so mad. But no, they're not going to be mad. They actually respect you more because you're like, hey, this is my value. I'm going to give you exactly or more than what you think you're going to get. And I can be proud of that. And you're going to pay me for it. It's just kind of been like a very like a revolutionary process for me going from especially as like a full time employee who they really didn't want to pay me. Right. You kind of get what you, you get what you get. And yeah. And I say I have the same experience becoming a full-time entrepreneur also is that basically you eat what you kill and you, what you're bringing home is by the efforts of your like labor and skill. And, and if you don't value that and if you undermine it, then yeah, people will take and not give you what you're worth. I'd love to see you in a couple of years because probably what you think is a lot of money now would be like, that is nothing. <laughs> so that's awesome. I'm happy that you were able to now you're trying out life as you want to live it and you're jumping both feet in into your entrepreneurship journey. That's so cool. But I do think there's so many tips for people to um, take away from your journey and your health kind of history and what you've been able to accomplish. So thank you so much. Now, where can people if they do want to like check out your blog or follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Yeah, so I have a personal finance blog at walkingtofire.com. So it's written all out. Yeah. Uh, no numbers or anything, just walkingtofire.com. And I have a Twitter account on twitter.com. And the username is zero written out, like Z-E-R-O. And then the number two and then fire, so F-I-R-E. So I like clearly just wanted an account and it just kind of stuck and now I can't change it <laughs> because I it's just become my brand but I'm like oh man this is so high school when you put numbers and everything <laughs> it's okay well I will link all of that because I'm sure people want to like just follow up on your journey and your blog is pretty awesome too because you share actual numbers um, especially about how much you were spending so if you're curious to see how she managed to only spend 30 about thirty thousand dollars a year in New York City you can look at the, the numbers broken out on her blog and I'll link all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Zero, for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, so how was that, guys? I really hope that you got a lot from this episode. As always, 
I am committed to bringing you the best content, best interviews, best just sources of information that I can. I'm really looking to fill your toolbox with tools to fill you with basically the thought that you can do anything. Like literally, you can really do anything, journeyers. The only barrier between what you want is currently who you are and what you do. So changing how you look at things and what you do is the key. It's how I've gotten to where I am today. I'm going to continue to share these stories, my story, so that you can find a different, better way to reach your goals. Now, again, anything that stood out for you, let me know. Tag me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Journey to Launch. I'd love to see what stood out, what struck a chord. And then as always, if you need the episode show notes, so something that we mentioned, like a blog post or anything, go to the episode show notes. That's journeytolaunch.com slash episode 127. Now, if you want to make sure you're keeping up to date with everything that's going on with Journey to Launch, so we have an episode come out every Wednesday morning. Never fails. Knock on wood. That's the goal, right? Over two years going strong. Every week an episode comes out. But I also have a lot of things going on outside of the podcast that I share in my weekly newsletter. So you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed to my newsletter. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash join. Then you'll be able to join my weekly newsletter. You basically get the insight and insider information on any giveaways or updates that basically with the podcast, it takes a little longer for you to hear it but you can read it on the newsletter on a weekly basis. So join me, join other journeyers who read and open the newsletter. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.